Hello, Duke fans, and welcome to episode 494 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. Gentlemen, it is official. John Shire has gone undefeated at home in his first season as the Duke men's basketball coach. Let's give it up for a second for John Shire. Congratulations, coach. Let's do it. Not losing a game in Cameron this year. That is a pretty cool accomplishment. Let's talk about it. I am your host for this episode. I'm Sam Klein. I'm joined by Jason Evans and Donald Wine. Jason is the one who was not at the game tonight. So I'm going to ask him first, Jason, how are you this evening? I had a I had a delightful evening watching the Blue Devils with a win that got a we had a little nervous at the end maybe but but it was a game that they were largely in control of throughout. It was a really really nice win against a good team that was playing well. And Donald Wine was in the building from senior night. So Donald, maybe before we get into sort of the details of the game, can you tell us about what was going on in Cameron today? They had tweeted before the game that they were going to be doing it seemed like they were going to be doing senior honors for Max Johns, Kale Catchings, and Jacob Grandison. So what was that like tonight? Honestly, they actually didn't do anything for for those three, at least during the game or after the game. Um, it was but it was still like they honored all the seniors of the, you know, the cheerleaders, the band, the Duke Dancing Devils, the 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 Duke managers, there's so many, obviously, I know we all know this and some fans out there know this, but there's a lot of people who make a Duke basketball game go, right? Who make, who who are part of this experience just as much as the Amen, staff and the players. And so they did a great job at highlighting those, you know, people who uh, were seniors and, and doing their final game. Uh, it was a funny thing. The, uh, the They did some of the cheerleaders uh, during the first TV timeout and the Duke Blue Devil was supposed to hand them flowers. Uh, but the Duke Blue Devil, as as some people on this podcast might know, uh, the head doesn't always match up with the eyes. So uh, he fumbled the tradition. He fumbled the, the flowers and then stepped on them uh, before he was able to hand them to the cheerleaders. They took it in stride. Uh, but at the next TV timeout, they did the Dancing Devils and the Dancing Devils who weren't seniors. They said, "Yo, Blue Devil, we got this. We, you you take a break. We'll we'll hand these flowers to uh, to to the uh, Dancing Devils who were the seniors." But it was a great night. Everyone was loud in Cameron. It was it was full. There was some red in the building, but uh, I think everyone there saw what was a physical game. And I'm ready to talk about the physicality. I think I don't think we saw freshmen tonight. I think we saw juniors tonight. I, you know, by the way, related to that senior night thing, the reason Sam thought they were honoring Max Johns, Kale Catchings, and Jacob Grandison was because Duke. Uh, Duke men's basketball sent out a photo of those three guys together and said, "Hey, big game tonight." And and clearly, that was the that was the ad, or I guess the 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 media ad that they right. put on on media on social media for the game. Yeah, right. And to some extent, the most significant thing about that is that they did not include Ryan Young in that. Ryan Young has another year of eligibility, but you know uh, he could absolutely decide. I've played four years of college basketball at this point. Actually, it's five years because he he redshirted as a freshman at at, uh, at Northwestern, and he could have easily you know decided this is my last season. Uh, the fact that he wasn't pictured in that has a lot of people thinking that Ryan Young is sort of signaling to the Duke basketball program that he plans to play another year, and and I can't imagine he would go someplace else. I can't imagine he's not pleased with how his season has gone so far at Duke and and the NIL opportunities and such that he's gotten. So uh, even before the game, a little bit of good news in that if there was any speculation, I think Ryan Young kind of put it to bed, uh, at least uh, in my mind. I didn't have any speculation. I knew he was staying. 
<laughs> and it's not like there is a big man that is, or there are big men who are obviously supplanting Ryan Young in the rotation next year. If anything, it probably gets easier with the fact that Kyle Filipowski had such a good season that he probably is leaving after this season, which was not necessarily the the plan headed into the year. And then, Jason, when we were talking about it earlier, I then leapt to the next question uh, as a as a alumnus of the uh, business school where Ryan Young and all of the other graduate students are uh, students in the in the one year program. My next thought was, well, what's Ryan Young going to be studying next year? Because he's in a one year program that cannot be extended to two. So Anything they're going to have to find wants. they're going to have to find something. new courses of study for him. So independent study. A, that's a, that's they'll, a, I'm I'm sure they'll have no trouble finding something that Ryan finds interesting that he can spend a year uh, working on at Duke. I, I don't think there have been some people, I think, out there who've sort of said, oh, I wonder if he's going to do a uh, an MBA, move from the one-year program to the two-year MBA. I think that's highly unlikely. Uh, it's, a, it's a whole different, but Sam, as you know, look, I'm talking about it. Sam actually has a Duke MBA. So uh, the notion of doing that while playing basketball, I think, is kind of bonkers. Good luck to him, whatever the decision is. But guys, let's talk about the game. So the final score is 71 to 67. Duke beats NC State, avenging the pretty lopsided loss that Duke suffered at PNC almost two months ago. It was a four-point game at halftime. It was a four-point game at the end of the game. And before we get into this, I need to just issue the full disclosure that I watched the first half of the game. I did the thing that I've been doing for Tuesday night games all of this season which is that there's a there's a bar pretty close to my apartment where there's live bluegrass music and uh, bluegrass jams on Tuesday nights. And I've been, when, when Duke has been playing at seven o'clock, I've watched the first half at home and then gone to the bar to watch the second half of the game and play music. I did that tonight. I got to the bar and they didn't have the TVs on. So I missed the second half of the game. And then I was reminded that we were recording tonight. So I am operating off of having watched one half of this game and looking at the box score. Jason watched the whole thing from his couch. Donald was in the building. So so everyone's got a, a different level of understanding. But I think I can piece together enough of what happened here. So as I said, the final score, 71 to 67, Jason I know you took a look at some of the headlines that we got from the listeners and folks. Sorry that sometimes we record these right after the game and sometimes the next day. So I'm sure some more headlines will trickle in, but we got a good number of them uh, immediately following the game. So Jason, what are the, what are the headlines from this one? Yeah, I got, uh, there are five of them uh, that, that I like, and, and we've gotten already well over uh, a dozen headlines from, from the, from the listeners out there. So you folks are on the ball, even though we're recording very shortly after the game ended. Uh, Mark Esselstein has the captain takes over devils out tough the pack. Um, and there were plenty of headlines where people talk about Jeremy Roach having a huge game when it comes time for us to talk about the good Sam, if you toss to me first, I'll be talking extensively about Jeremy Roach. So rest assured, uh, Josh Dilly had, Oh, Jeremy, my captain Roach revels in captain in Cameron finale. I would adjust that. I think it just should just be, Oh, captain, my captain. Um, Josh, so fix that next time, buddy. Chris Bynum came in with sweet 16 and 0. Duke holds off Wolfpack to finish unbeaten at home. We had several headlines from people who pointed out, as we did at the start of this broadcast, that uh, John Shire and the Duke Blue Devils go undefeated this year in their home games. Courtney Kruger had one. Duke packs another win into an undefeated home season. I like that one. I think that's really, really good. 
And those were all the headlines that I really that I really enjoyed from from this one. And and like Sam said, you know, there's still more coming in, but these are the folks who got it to us early. Sometimes early bird catches the worm. Guys, I actually do have my own headline from this game. And I love it. My headline is perfection isn't always perfect, but it can be physical. And I'll leave it at that. I think, you know, the fact that we went 16 and 0, it wasn't a perfect game, but it definitely, uh, like I said, I, I got to marvel at how physical this game was inside and out. Um, but there, it wasn't the best game that Duke played all year, but it leaves them 16 and 0 with a perfect home record. And I think that's the most important thing. Jason, I'm surprised you didn't enjoy uh, the submission from John Wiener, which was Devils forget how to play basketball when up double digits. To your point about how I it saw felt that like Duke was going to win no. this game the whole time. Wait, wait, but... wait. The, the headline from this game cannot be that we failed to hold on to a double digit lead because in the end we did hold on to that lead and there's too much good that happened this game to focus on blowing a lead. I agree. So, so Jason, why don't you tell me about Jeremy Roach? Because on a night when Roach goes 0 for 5 from 3, he still makes a huge impact. It felt like, at least from the part of the game that I was able to watch, that uh, Jeremy Roach continues to do that thing where he looks around in, in a moment of panic and says, I'm going to take the ball to the hoop and I'm going to get a layup. So, Sam, Sam, that's called him saying I'm him because Jeremy Roach was him tonight. I, oh, I like I got this. So, so Jason, tell me about Jeremy Roach's evening going nine for 14 from two point land, at least, and making a lot of big buckets for Duke. I think that every single one of those nine baskets was with the shot clock under five seconds. <laughs> it was unbelievable. Duke's best offense, by the way, in the first half was wait until the shot clock's down to like two or one and then have Jeremy Rhodes shoot a layup. And, you know, we should be clear. Almost all these layups were very contested. <laughs> there were frequently two or three NC State guys around him. Jeremy Roach is so adept at, at finding unique angles for his layups, at stretching his arms in ways that you wouldn't expect from a small guy like him to be able to do it. And, and his finishing around the rim was just incredibly impressive in this game again and again. And the big thing to me was, as I sort of looked back on the game, there were all these moments in the game where I was like, okay, this is getting to be a big moment. You know, oh, we need to stretch this out a little bit. Oh, you know, State's coming back a little bit. Oh, we've been scoreless for a little bit. This is a big moment. Every one of those big moments, except one, and I'm going to talk about that one in a little bit, but every single one of those big moments ended up with Jeremy Roach making a play for Duke, usually making a layup or a short runner in the lane. And, and it, you know, like you said, on a night where he couldn't buy a, sh a shot out, outside of 15 feet, he drained everything he took around the basket. And, and NC State just didn't have an answer. And the really interesting thing about it, the announcers pointed this out on the broadcast a couple times, uh, DJ Burns, who's a, a hugely important player for NC State and a great offensive player and who hit some shots that I don't know how the heck he even got them close to the basket, let alone put them in. DJ Burns was a big problem for NC State on defense because Jeremy Roach was Duke was doing was picking doing some pick and roll, and DJ Burns just could not he couldn't hedge and cover Jeremy Roach he couldn't you know uh, cover him one on one every time Duke put Jer uh, DJ Burns into a pick and roll it was a problem for NC State and I you know we talk a lot about John Shire's coaching we talk a lot about the smarts of the guys in this team I think Jeremy Roach recognized that and he knew anytime I need to. I can get to the rim against this guy. And that was a big development in this game. Yeah. Jeremy Roach was Jeremy Roach was 
in the first half, he was incredible. Jason, you mentioned that a lot of his uh, shots were his layups at the rim were contested. It didn't feel like it because that's how good he was at getting to the rim and making it and creating space as he's going up with the shot. It felt like, it, it, you know, there's times where you can kind of hold off your defender with your off arm while you lay it in with your other one. But it felt like he created the space in the air on his own. It was in a, in a game that was super physical. He it felt like everything kind of parted for him at the right moments. And I, I think, Jason, the best part was his calmness in doing it. Like you said, he kind of looked around and said, don't worry, guys, I got this and just went to the rim and, and got it done. And I think that was uh, in, a, in a game where a lot of guys were were physical and, and doing great things. Jeremy Roach was just kind of the calm that keeps kept it all together. Whenever things kind of got haywire, he was the guy that kind of brought it back with a good play. And it wasn't just him making baskets. It was also him making the right decisions on offense and defense. Guys, we talked before this game about how Duke needed to dramatically cut down on the turnovers against NC State. Given that in the first game, Duke turned the ball over, I think, over 20 times. So tonight, Duke turns the ball over 10 times, which is not is not a great number, but given the given some of the performances of this team this season, Duke only turning the ball over 10 times against a state team that loves turning other teams over, whether that's through steals or through drawing offensive fouls, tipping balls out of bounds, et cetera. That is a, is a great outcome. And you have to give credit to Roach, who we already talked about, um, but also to Proctor and Filipowski. They both turned the ball over a couple of times, but in a, in an environment where it can get a lot more hectic against NC state against guys like Burns and Terquavion Smith and Jarkel Joyner, Duke didn't, didn't succumb to that. And it felt like, you know, if a couple more balls get tipped out, then NC State could have completed this comeback. You know, the thing about Proctor that impressed me in this game was that NC State, we I don't think we've seen a team pick Duke up full court like that the entire game, the way NC State did in this contest. They were clearly trying to speed Duke up to make us play faster than we wanted to. And Tyrese Proctor, and to a lesser extent, Jeremy Roach, but it was mostly Proctor, just stayed under control the whole time. Like Duke didn't want to take a lot of shots with 20 plus seconds left in the shot clock. So Tyrese Proctor was like, look, I'm going to beat this press and then we're going to slow it down and we're going to run our offense the way we're supposed to run our offense and things will be fine. It, it was a, it was a very mature performance by Tyrese Proctor. And then the other thing about him was, oh man, his defense on Terquavion Smith. Terquavion Smith is the third leading scorer in the ACC. He's almost certainly going to be a first-team All-ACC player. He is likely to be a first-round draft pick at the end of this year. Terquavion Smith was just destroyed by Tyrese Proctor. He, he only gets two buckets in this game. He, he, didn't, he didn't really score at all. He didn't score at all in the first half. He didn't get his first bucket, his first field goal, until a minute 36 left in the game. A minute 36 left. Basically, for 38 and a half minutes, Tyrese Proctor held Terquavion Smith to zero baskets. Dude's averaging like 17 or 18 points per game. That is some of the, that's truly impressive defense. We've seen Proctor doing this again and again. I feel like I'm a broken record talking about Tyrese Proctor's defense, but man, it, it, he he put on a heck of a show against Terquavion Smith. And on top of the great defense, both on ball and off ball, he also frustrated Smith to the point where Proctor drew a technical foul 
during like yes. uh like like before and out of bounds and donald i i know you told us that you didn't have a great vantage point to see the the shove or the lack thereof i don't know jason if if you had a different opinion i think that proctor got away with one there and i'm not sure exactly no, I, how much I, like there was definitely contact i, I don't know if that contact way. caused him to go to ground but so he, here's what i think happened so proctor and smith were sort of pushing a little bit and Proctor was getting too close to Smith and Smith kept on pushing him away and pushing him away. And at one of those points when he pushed him away, Proctor didn't know that DJ Burns was behind him and he sort of fell down and tripped over DJ Burns. And I, I don't think Proctor was, was looking to draw a technical there or anything like that. But when, when he went to the ground, the officials had to do something at that point. I, I will say on, on the replay, I was, I was on that side of the court, but it, you know, basically Proctor was kind of falling back with his back to me um it didn't look like he clipped anything with dj burns it just looked like that there was a bunch of physical physical things going on and and proctor tried to make something happen it was it was not a flop it was embellishment because the definition of a flop is you're not you're not touched and he was actually touched but i do think it was kind of a back and forth and you're right dj burns was in the area i just couldn't see whether that was what caused the fall or if it was just proctor just trying to make make something happen well, and Burns has a hundred pounds on Proctor, so at least if Proctor is is, <laughs> Dude, is yeah, it's more than, I bet it's more than a hundred. He's two eighty. He's he's a, he's a hard guy to to move out of the way. So, but you know what? All of that being said, Proctor drew that foul, got right back up, and was like, "All right, great. Like, let's let's keep playing." Totally not phased by the fact that that Smith was getting up in Proctor's business, reacting to Proctor's incredible defense, Donald. In addition to the defensive effort that Duke put on on the perimeter, I feel like we need to highlight the play of the big men down low. And two things stand out to me here. One is that Kyle Filipowski gets back to his double-double ways in a big way. He's got 14 rebounds in this game, including five offensive. Derek Lively adds his own 12 rebounds, including six offensive. And together... We, we told you before the game that DJ Burns was going to be a big deal. He was great against Duke in the first game. He's only six for 15 in this game, which is a pretty bad shooting night for and Burns. It felt, it felt like most of them were early, like down the stretch, like the final 10 minutes. I don't think he hit a bucket. Yeah, because I, I told you I only watched the first half, and I think he may have had close to 10 points at half. If he didn't have 10 points already at halftime. And the, the thing that I noticed there, and, and Donald, I want to get your opinion on this from the stadium is that Duke was being much more creative on defense, selectively doubling DJ Burns because if he was getting, if he was getting Derek Lively by himself a little bit farther from the basket, or if he was drawing Ryan Young, Burns was eating those guys up. But Kyle Filipowski was doing a lot of selective double teaming, getting into Burns at the at the right moments to prevent Burns from getting into a rhythm in the post. Yeah, absolutely, and I liked the fact that. John Shire and the coaching staff had a game plan where, again, they were going to throw, like you said, throw different sets at him, throw different looks at him to try and challenge DJ Burns to once again beat us, right? You know, the last game, it was, we talked about it, it was more of a coming out part of DJ Burns. Now they were ready for him. And the one thing I want to say about Kyle Filipowski and Derek Lively together, like you said, they combined for 26 rebounds. Ladies and gentlemen, this is what happens when you have two guys who understand, finally it clicks to them that, yo, if I want the ball and it's in the air, I can go get it. And no one is going to stop me except maybe my teammate. The first half, Cal Filipowski had 10 rebounds. 
Derek Lively had six rebounds, and it felt like every single ball that was in the air around the rim, one of them was coming down with it. And it it even seemed like halfway up the halfway up, they both would be jumping with each other and they can kind of look at each other like, no, nah, you get it. And they were off and running. I think that was it was a dominant display on the glass for them, both on on the offensive glass and the defensive glass. You know what I loved about it, by the way, was the number of rebounds that Derek Lively got where he would, where like everybody jumped and the ball would sort of be tipped around and stuff. And then Derek Lively was the guy who'd come down with it because his arms mm-hmm. were just longer than everybody yeah. else. There was one, one of those he... balls that, like it's, a, it's supposed to be a 50-50 ball, but it's not because Derek Lively's arms are so much longer. <laughs> there was one where he jumped up and even he didn't think he was going to come down with it because he was like basically halfway down. Like he had already jumped all the way up to his apex and was halfway down. And all of a sudden his arm just kind of go, go gadgeted out there and grabbed the ball. And all of a sudden he kind of looked, goes, oh, and that was the play, Jason, where I'm pretty sure it went to Tyrese Proctor, who then threw the like the home run pass that was kind of tipped but caught by uh, Dariq Whitehead, who yes. then laid it in. That was one where he like it started with a Derek Lively just going, oh, I'm tall. I can just go get the ball. Wait, even if I'm coming down, I'm still going to get the ball. That's like the, the, the confidence that they both displayed on the glass was just incredible. And the two of them together com- you know, made it for a dominant performance on the glass. And it led to a lot of second chance points for Duke. You know, Kevin Keats and the pro game presser mentioned that Duke had a lot of second chance points. And that was really what took them out of a lot of their flow. It let it started with the rebounding, both on offense and on defense. Lively also created one jump ball opportunity where I can't remember which NC State player it was, but the NC State guy was basically coming down with the rebound and Lively just put his arms over in the right position and was like, nope, I am also here. Uh, we are we are holding this ball together. This is not yours. So I like that. The, the other thing that I note about the big men here, I, I don't want to call it a bad that Ryan Young only gets to play 11 minutes in this game, because if we go back to the beginning of the season, we talked about how. By, by the Derek, way, by the way, Sam, he had six rebounds in those 11 minutes. Yes. Yeah, so, <laughs> so 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 you're you're beating me to the point here, which is that that before the season, we said. Likely the best version of Duke is that Derek Lively is playing 25 minutes a game and Ryan Young is playing 15. It feels like we're getting to that point where Ryan Young is still very productive. He still has post moves that befuddle most ACC big men. He is still able to pull down rebounds against second teamers. He he can't really, there's not much he can do against DJ Burns or against other big men who have particularly good footwork because Ryan Young just isn't athletic enough to hang with guys like that. But as you said, Jason, in those limited minutes, in 11 minutes, he pulls down six rebounds. He does manage to get a couple buckets. He had one of the, one of the niftiest buckets of the night. I think he had, he had one post move where I was like, Ooh, Ryan Young did that thing. So I like where Duke is now with their big man rotation, because this is the, like, this is what basically what we expected plus Kyle Filipowski being such an elite scorer, even on a night when he is somewhat befuddled, he still manages to score 11 points. Look, I want to talk for a second about how physical this game was. And I think this is where we talk about the maturity, the growing up process that this team has endured over the last, you know, rest of the season. I, there was one play and spoiler alert is my favorite play of the game. It was when, Dariq Whitehead and Terquavion Smith kind of got into a little tussle going for a loose ball. They both were on the ground flying for the loose ball. They both grab it. And at a certain point, you know, Dariq Whitehead was based, and I talked to him afterwards. He said, 
yeah, I just I just let him know that nobody was coming up with the ball with me. And if I wasn't going to get the ball, then no one was getting the ball. He came up with the ball and walked off with the ball to a TV timeout. He walked off like he had secured a fumble on the football field. He, like, threw the ball in the air behind. Der- uh, Derek Lively is right next to him with his hand around his shoulders. And, like, it felt like to that point the team all gathered around and responded. There was another point where it got really physical. There was the – um there was a play inside where a bunch of guys were going for a loose ball. It ended up where Therese Proctor ends up on the ground and the ball's going out of the way, but Duke didn't like mope. They went down. They were physical themselves. They got a rebound. They made a basket on the other end. And that was the point when John Shire motioned for Cameron to get on their feet and get loud and get crazy. And damn it. They did. They were really loud at all points of the night, but that point was probably the loudest point of the night. It was so loud that NC State responded by immediately calling a timeout because they said, we do not want no smoke with this atmosphere at this point in the game. We knew They knew at that point that that was going to be a game-changing moment, and it was because I think every single moment, loose balls, rebounds, defense, Duke was right in NC State's face, and I think that's what shocked NC State initially. That's what shocked Torquavion Smith. Even DJ Burns, the, the looks that he was getting, they were of a physical nature. Guys, you know, he was trying to back people down in the paint. And Derek Lively and Ryan Young and, and even Kyle Flipowski, they were going right at him too. And I think that was – it was – it reminded me of like old, you know, old ACC basketball. This was like an old ACC basketball game where both teams are just going at it, not in a bad way, in a physical nature. It was a lot of fun to watch in that regard. And it shows me that this team right here – Two months ago, when we played them in, in Raleigh, they didn't have this energy. They didn't have this physicality or intensity. They had it tonight, and you can see how much of a difference it made in the game. Down the stretch, Jason, Duke was able to make almost all of its free throws in the final two minutes. And 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 you pointed out when we started talking here that this was a game where Duke made it unnecessarily close, where it felt like they might have had the ability to pull away. Talk to me about the maturity that this team has displayed, the the growth from that game in Raleigh almost two months ago until now, where at the end of the game, whether it's Jeremy Roach or, or Tyrese Proctor, they are just calmly hitting free throws to ice this one. Yeah, for a game that felt like it was salted away, if, if Duke had struggled at the free throw line in the second half, uh, things could have gotten very nervous. Instead, after a shaky first half where Duke only hit... 12 out of 17 free throws. They they went 11 of 12 from the free throw line in the second half. And, you know, in the final couple minutes, final four minutes, really, it was almost all free throws. That's that's the only way Duke was scoring for the most part. Part of that was that NC State was fouling us, but part of that was these guys, you know, finding a way they had to get points somehow. And, and the way they were getting points was at the free throw line. It, it ain't easy. When, when you're up four points shooting the front end of a one and one, to knock two free throws down, especially when you know that NC State's probably going to race the other direction and bury a circus three-pointer, which they did again and again and again in this game. So I, I just wanted to tip tip my cap. Uh, Mark Mitchell, Jeremy Roach, and Tyrese Proctor, all three of those guys had had really, really big free throws that they hit late in this game. And and that ain't, that ain't as easy to do as people may think it is. And the other thing I wanted to mention about Mark Mitchell very quickly was uh, he, he he tied for second in scoring in the game with 12 points and five rebounds. And I thought Mark Mitchell was outstanding on defense in this game. He he is he's the classic look. I 
people have started to begin a little bit to compare him to Justice Winslow, the Swiss Army knife kind of player. He's not, let's be clear, he is not there yet. He is not as strong as Winslow was. His outside shot isn't as good as Justice. There are a lot of things he doesn't do as well, but poor man's Justice Winslow is what we're starting to see from Mark Williams. And part of that is playing unbelievable defense. He was, for the most part, guarding Casey Morsell in this game. Casey Morsell played 38 and a half minutes and was 0 for 8 from the field. That's not a good game. That is really not a good game. And a lot of that was Mark Mitchell playing good defense on him. And when he wasn't on Casey Morsell, it was probably because, because Mark Mitchell was helping out or switching on to a more difficult assignment. I, I just thought he was, every time I stopped for a moment and really tried to watch him and watch the Duke defense, he was doing the right thing. That was not the case earlier this year. He has really matured. And the past few weeks, you know, Mark Mitchell is playing like, you know, a player that could be a key, key piece of Duke making a deep run in March. Jason, if if Mark if Mark Mitchell is playing anywhere like Justice Winslow played in the 2015 NCAA tournament, which he still has time to to get to, then we're going to be in great shape because that was a great Justice Winslow that we saw in the 2015 NCAA tournament. But I think the one thing about to be fair to Duke in the last couple of minutes, the reason why it seemed a little shaky, it wasn't it wasn't bad defense. We had guys that had two, three, you know, two, three people going after some of these three point shoot, you know, shots that they were making from 20. It felt like 25, 30 feet. Every single shot, it felt like even when, you know, Joyner was making a bunch of them, a lot of them were with hands in the face. So it wasn't the, you know, after the game, John Shire did not uh, lament the fact that we let them, quote, let them back into the game. He said it was more of NC State making some really, really tough shots. And the thing about Duke's defense is that they, even when, NC State made shots. They weren't open. The very, very few of them were uncontested. They were all with a hand in the face, and they all were just making making plays. And I think that's what it was about. If you're playing defense and a team makes a play, then okay, tip of the hat to them. But most of the night, Duke had their number. Guys, let's take a quick break. When we get back, we need to get into the bad from this one because, once again, somewhat of an uneven uh, offensive performance for Duke. So stick around. We are back and we are talking about the bad from Duke's win against NC State. Jason, on a night when Duke scores 71 points, a team that does not play at a fast pace, I see that Duke is basically only 10% from three-point land, two for 19. And it wasn't just, we mentioned Jeremy Roach in the first half about how, you know, he was scoring a ton around the rim, but couldn't buy a bucket from outside. He was not the only one. Roach goes 0 for 5 from three Mark Mitchell's one for three Filipowski's over three Tyrese Proctor is over three Derek Lively threw one up he didn't make his it was it was a tough night for three for for the Duke guys even Jacob Grandison who is supposed to be you know the 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 heat guy off the bench goes over three from three was it that Duke wasn't getting the right shots or were they just not falling tonight in Cameron no they just were not falling I, I don't think there was a single one that that anyone took where I was like, no, I mean, even, even Derek Lively's, I, I was wide open. Derek, was I actually thought Derek Lively could have taken three pointers earlier in the game. The degree to which DJ Burns was leaving him open at the three point line. <laughs> when Lively finally did take one, I mean, he didn't even come close to hitting the rim. It was a really, really bad shot, but yeah, no Duke didn't take any bad three pointers. We just didn't knock any of them down. That's concerning. That's, that's a problem. I mean, this team's got to find a way 
to get that because they're going to get that shot because teams are so worried about Duke's overwhelming size and our ability to get into the lane. Look, the, the smallest guy on the team is Jeremy Roach, and he probably gets in the lane as, as good as anyone on this club. So teams are going to pack it in against Duke, and we've got to be able to hit some of those three-pointers. That was definitely troubling. The other thing that bothered me, by the way, our, our, our three-point stats are off. It says two for 19. It really should say two for 21, because in the first couple minutes of the game, both Tyrese Proctor and Jeremy Roach took shots with their foot on the three-point line, so it counted as a two. Uh, really bad awareness on their part. You know, we talked about how great those guys played. They, they were fabulous, but really bad court awareness to take those shots that were essentially three-pointers, but they were only two-pointers. They missed them anyway, so it wouldn't have mattered. But you just got to – you kind of have to be aware of, uh, you know, where you are on the floor. And, and I just thought our offense – it really felt like we struggled to get good shots, especially early in the game. Um, I, I thought in the first half, Duke was pretty sloppy on the shot selection. Our passing wasn't that great. There were some really nasty turnovers in this game. We didn't have a ton of turnovers, but the ones we had, some of them were just like, ugh, really? Like, Derek Whitehead at one point just threw the ball out of bounds to nobody. I think, you know, Kyle Filipowski was sitting at the scores table ready to check in. I think he threw it to Kyle Filipowski. <laughs> well, Cal, and then, Cal isn't that it. one on the break where, like, it, I it think was on was, a break, yeah. yeah. I think he was break. looking for Jacob Grandison, and Grandison was, like, going to the corner, not going to the elbow. Oh, it was just, it, it was a terrible, and then we had another one where Mark Mitchell had had run out ahead, and uh, he just fumbled, the like, he, he had a wide open dunk, and just fumbled the ball off his fingers. So uh, there was there was some pretty sloppy play by Duke. Uh, you know, in the first half, we only shot 38% from the field. Kyle Filipowski, we mentioned it. He, Kyle couldn't even hit a layup at times in this game. And his he probably took, you know, eight or nine shots inside of five feet, and he maybe made one or two of them. It was, it was not, you know, just it wasn't a great offensive performance by the Blue Devils. But you know what? We won by four. I'll take it. So there was a couple of moments where a couple of times in one in the first half and one in the second half where we went on long scoring droughts. We made the very first basket of the game and then we missed our next nine shots, nine shots. We we usually go three or four or something like that, but missing nine is a lot. And Jason, like you mentioned, a lot of those early were layups that were missing. Um, we were getting the offensive rebound, trying to put it back up, missing those again. Uh, it was, it was, just, it felt like a comedy of errors in the second half. Yo, wait, from- hey, Donald, Donald, mm-hmm. it felt like, it felt a little bit like the, the game we had in Raleigh against. Remember, we missed our first 12 shots against them in Raleigh. I was terrified in the first five minutes that we were going to have the same kind of game we had in Raleigh. Kevin Keats mentioned that exact same thing. He said the game, the pace of the game, and everything about it felt like the game two months ago in Raleigh. It's just that North, NC State was not making shots either um, in that stretch. So it was it was kind of interesting that you mentioned that because Kevin Keats pointed that out as well. In the second half, from the 839 mark to the 319 mark, we didn't score a, a field goal. We missed five three pointers in a row. Uh, it was a it was a uh, Jeremy Roach jumper with three nineteen left that broke that um, broke that kind of drought that we had. And I think the one thing, JC, you also mentioned that I think contributed to a lot of these was the fact that we weren't moving the ball around very well. We only had six assists, which is very very low. We're usually you know up in the you know fifteen sixteen assist range. No matter how many shots we make, we usually are passing the ball around quite well. But this time around, it felt like there was a lot of guys trying to create off the dribble. And even if they were trying to find passes, it was, you know, they were putting guys in position where they still had to kind of dribble to create a shot at the rim. And it wasn't a lot of, you know, guys. And, and I think the open shots probably contribute to a lot of those uh, missed opportunities for assists. I feel like some of that, though, is credit to NC State 
for playing such good defense against absolutely all night. Right. This was down low and on the perimeter where like I I think Duke's offensive execution has generally gotten better over the last month or so. And NC State was able to exploit a lot of the places where Duke had been susceptible earlier. I hope that's not a sign that Duke's offense is going to regress because other teams are going to see the tape from tonight and figure out how to guard the Blue Devils away from making the good passes. It also felt like, you know, because there were so few threes being made, like good passes were going back out to the perimeter, like from Jeremy Roach or from other guys who were driving Tyrese Proctor. It's just that the guys on the outside, if they're not hitting their shots, you, you don't get an assist for a good pass. It doesn't lead to a made basket. You know, guys, I want to call myself out about something. So I have a text chain with a bunch of my Duke friends and we, you know, we're always firing messages back and forth to each other during the game. And at halftime, I, I sent a text to my friends and you guys are, of course, are familiar with Arrested Development and how, you know, sometimes someone would say something and then Ron Howard, the, the narrator would chime in and, and, and explain how that person, what they just said was wrong. So this was me at halftime. I sent this text to my friends. I said, there is no way Jarkel Joyner is going to keep on hitting all these long range contested shots with us all over him in the second half. Cue the narrator. narrator. He did. <laughs> and I also said, there's also no way that Turquavion Smith is going to remain scoreless and not get a bucket in the second half. Narrator, he did. <laughs> so I just wanted to know, note that uh, I reached out to my peeps and made two bold statements at halftime, both of which were absolutely completely wrong. And I, I do think, you know, Sam, you mentioned a second ago, credit where credit's due. The NC State, Jarkel Joyner. Uh, I mean, absolutely incredible game on his part. I, I don't want to call it a Bootsy game because he's too good a player for you to label him as a Bootsy Thornton. Uh, this guy's probably going to make like second team all ACC or something like that. And uh, his the shots he was hitting were unlike <laughs> I haven't seen. I don't think I've ever seen anyone hit that many difficult shots against Duke. So a hat tip to Mr. Joyner. Guys, before we wrap up here, I, I just want to get thoughts, final thoughts on John Shire going 16-0 and at home, undefeated in his first season in Cameron. Donald, I know you got to attend the press conferences after the game. What did John Shire have to say about that accomplishment for himself and for the team? Well, he was very proud. I mean, the fact that he, he you know, someone asked him what his most difficult moment of the season was. And he was like, hey, what, first of all, I can only pick one. And he kind of joked about that, but he mentioned that it was about the fact that he was doing this new thing with new guys. And like the only guys really that were in kind of a rotation from last year was Jeremy Roach and Jalen Blake. So those are the only two real scholarship players that he kind of were able to, was able to lean on and kind of take from last season and say, Hey, I need you to help me this year, kind of lead this team. But a, a funny note that he made about this game, he talked about when he attended his first game in Cameron he said from that moment on I fell in love with Duke and I, I wanted to you know always protect this house and and make this my home and this is our place and he credited the fans he credited you know the Cameron crazies for for being the best you know home court advantage in college basketball all year long note guys uh, I believe we're the only team in division one where between the men and the women we only had one loss uh, and that was by the women just a couple of days ago so uh, you know hats off to the Cameron crazies and everybody who showed up at Cameron for all the basketball games this year but guys the notable point about John Shire's comments was that the first game 
that John Shire attended was the Patrick Davidson game against Wake Forest in 2005. I love it. If that's not going to make you fall in love with Duke, I don't know what will. So uh, let Patrick Davidson, thank you for making John Shire fall in love with Duke because here we are. That's the, it's perfect. I, I, it's obviously a, a great accomplishment to go undefeated. Uh, let's be clear, though. Duke uh, undefeated at home, I should say. Duke is done with home games, and no one has ever won a national championship or an ACC title on their home floor. Just actually, I mean, maybe historically that's happened once. I don't know. But it hasn't happened in my lifetime. And this Duke team will need to perform really, really well away from Cameron. But this is a great accomplishment. It's good for John Shire to have something like this to hang his hat on, something that Coach K did not do in his first season. That's for damn well sure. And the last thing I wanted to mention, and guys, I, we, we have not mentioned the letters UNC on this broadcast, and, and I'm glad. I, yeah, good. I'm glad we haven't. We will be talking about them extensively starting tomorrow. But without mentioning them, I do want to point something out. Gentlemen, do you know how many games in a row you have to win to win an NCAA title? Six. The an- I heard it's six. Yeah, the answer is six. Do you know how many six-game win streaks Duke has this year? Zero. The answer is zero. Duke but. Is, Duke, yeah, but, exactly. Duke is currently sitting on a five-game win streak. If you're going to win a title, if you're going to bring it home, you got to win six in a row. Only way to prove you can win six in a row is to win six in a row. I say that sounds great. Let's go one and zero on Saturday. We'll talk about them later, but let's go one and zero on Saturday, and then we can talk about what other streaks may come with that. I love that sentiment, guys. Let's take our plays of the game. We're not picking players of the week yet because the week is not over yet, but we do have to pick a play of the game. So, Donald, I know you already uh, teased this for us, but give me your play of the game one more time. It was it was Derek Whitehead getting that loose ball. Getting the jump, getting the jump ball, and then coming out of the pile with with the ball and walking off the court like like a, a team on the football field grabbing a fumble and running, saying, "Hey, offense, this is your football now. You guys can go play." It was it was again. It was one of those things where at that moment, a freshman said, "No, I'm not going to play like a freshman this moment. I'm going to be physical. I'm going to make sure that this other team understands that this is not their ball. This is not their house." And I'm going to play like it. And I think even with Derek Whitehead, who went perfect on the day, uh, two for two is not necessarily, uh, you know, the best offensive output from him. But he went perfect from the shots that he took. But the physicality that was there, and he established the tone. He kept the tone, and that moment got Cameron on his feet, and everybody said, "Okay, we're going to win this game." All right, you're going to be very surprised. I was all set to talk about one of the many dives to the basket by Jeremy Roach as my play of the game. And then I changed my mind, and it's going to just seem like the weirdest thing ever that I'm saying that this is my play of the game. But with a little more than four minutes left and Duke leading by six points. And look, it's easy to remember, oh, Duke Duke got up by 12, and then NC State came back in the final minute. We were only leading by six with a little more than four minutes left. And here's my play of the game. Mark Mitchell grabbed an offensive rebound, and Mark Mitchell got fouled and knocked down those two free throws. Not exciting. Not Derek Lively's ridiculous dunks. Not Jeremy Roach's incredible you know, dives to the basket, not Tyrese Proctor locking down Terquavion Smith. Mark Mitchell grabbed an offensive rebound, got fouled, and knocked down two free throws. I can't even tell you how big those free throws were. I felt in my bones at that moment. We had that possession. We hadn't scored in like three or four minutes. 
We just weren't doing anything on offense. I was like, my God, we're dead. We've got to get something on this possession. And Mark Mitchell got an offensive rebound and knocked down two free throws. This will, you will probably never see me say two free throws are the play of the game. But in my opinion, Duke would have lost this game if we hadn't scored on that possession. So Mark Mitchell, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I kind of like Tyrese Proctor being, being a gamer, drawing the technical foul and then knocking down his own two free throws with the guys not standing there. I, I appreciated that. The other one that I liked was late in the first half. Uh, Jeremy Roach had a uh, super clever alley-oop toss to Derek Lively uh, at a moment when it felt like Duke had a lot of momentum. Obviously, things turned around there later in the game, but there the the moment when I felt the most positive about this team was was Roach to Proctor on the, uh, on the alley-oop late in the first half. Does Derek Lively ever score anything but exciting baskets? <laughs> also, no, we've was... talked about we've talked about this, but it's just like he had three buckets in this game. I remember every one of them crystal clear. <laughs> that was also another go go gadget Lively kind of play. Like I oh, mean, he jumped yeah. over DJ Burns, and DJ Burns kind of stuck his wide body out, and Derek Lively was like, "No, nah, that's cool. I'm just going to jump over you and dunk the ball." So yeah, I love that one. Pretty cool. All right, guys, we're gonna get out of here. As we mentioned, Duke's got. Duke's got one more regular season game. It's a big one Saturday night in Chapel Hill. So we will be back to preview that. Stay in touch with us. DBR podcast at gmail.com. We love hearing from you. We are very close to March tomorrow. By the time you listen to this, it'll be, it'll be March. Cause I don't know that Donald's going to get this thing edited in the next 45 minutes. And, and you certainly won't listen to it in the next 45 minutes. <laughs> so uh, happy March. We're right, back. no matter what, by the time they hear your voice, it'll be March. It'll be March. So oh wait, actually, we have wait, we have listeners. We, uh, actually, wait, I was thinking we no, have listeners the, in it, Japan and stuff, but no, they already got March. It's already March in Japan. It would be it would be people like in Hawaii, but that would imply that the people in Hawaii are like waiting to get this show and listen to it before before we get to that point, or even wait, wait, West wait, Coast on. folks. Uh, do you think that's not the case? Do you think that doesn't happen? <laughs> if you listen to this show in February. Email us dbrpodcast at gmail.com and tell us how quickly you digested this thing. Because you also we need timestamps. We need timestamps. So if you send your yes, email, yes, we'll yeah, screenshots, whatever, prove it that you listened to this show in February. Uh, because we we need receipts. We're so ridiculous that. for everyone else. Happy March, Duke. It seems like is is going back to the NCAA tournament with the new head coach for the first time in many, 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 many years. Uh, I think the last time Duke went to the NCAA tournament, not with Mike Krzyzewski, they made the final four. Is that right? In 1970? They, that... they made the title game. They yeah. made the title game? Is that the last time Duke went to the tournament without Coach K? That's Forever's team, yeah. John Feinstein wrote a book about him. Uh, I don't think, because I don't think they made the tournament in 79. Because uh, this is still back in, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, dbrpodcast at gmail.com. We'll talk to you again soon. We'll preview the Carolina game. So for Jason Evans, for Donald Wine, I'm Sam Klein. This has been episode 494 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. Duke Band, take us home. Oh, guys, they definitely made the tournament in 1979. <laughs>
Great. They made, but never was, mind. Oh, oh, that was Black Friday. That was that was when Duke and oh, UNC were both really hi- they were both really highly ranked, and they they both lost at the same time. Duke was Duke was like a top ten team that whole season. <laughs> Oops. Yeah. Like like Gene Banks was still on Gene Banks and Jim Spinarkle was still on the team and the dog. Yeah. Well, yeah. Vince Taylor, Gene Banks, Jim Spinarkle, Kenny Denard, Mike Jaminski. That was a hell of a team. Damn. Mm. Oh, we're Can't such we didn't win a title with that crew. Yeah, how did that happen? <laughs> Pretty angry about it. Still, I'm still angry about it. <laughs> I was there, man. I was there. <laughs> we also made the tournament in 1980. Oh. Damn it, Jason. <laughs> and then... and then I was happened? so young. Wait, wait. I, I know. You guys weren't alive. I was so young. And remember, my family's all so Carolina Bill, Wait, fans. so did Bill Foster just retire? No, he left. He went to... Um, where was it? He went. He, uh, he went to South Carolina. Bill Foster left Duke for South Carolina, and then Duke hired Mike Krzyzewski. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. Dang. Can you imagine a Duke men's basketball coach leaving for South Carolina today? It it, it seems insane. I guess if I guess if Duke is playing in the Big East and South Carolina is playing in the SEC in in ten years, and Duke's making. You know, the athletic department's still only making whatever, like $30 million a year from their TV deal. South Carolina's making $100 million. I guess that could happen again. But something tells no. me John Shire's not leaving for South Carolina. No. Probably not.